my mic off? Um, kids can head to kids' church, so we'll see you in a couple hours. Um, <laughs> some people got that. Some of y'all are still thinking about it, and I'm a little concerned already that we're, yeah, where we're at. Okay. Um, but yeah, so kids head to kids' church. We'll see you all in a few minutes. We'll see where the Lord leads. Uh, but anyway, so before we get started, there is an index card on the end of your pew, or if there's not, there'll be one around you somewhere. Uh, you will need one of those. You are more than welcome to take notes on one side of that index card, but you will need the other side for something we'll do later, and I will be happy to instruct you about that when we get there. So take one, leave one side blank. Again, just hold on to it. Uh, you'll know when it's time, I'll tell you. Um, but yeah, there's an index card. Um, make sure you have one of those. So in January, we'll be walking through the book of Philippians, John Mark Williams and I. I'll be preaching this week and next week, and then he will be finishing the last two weeks um, in Philippians for us uh, this month. So we'll be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. So while you're, I know there's a lot going on right now, but go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1 with me um, when you are ready and have your Bibles available. Philippians chapter 1 um, will be right there. And we'll start in verse 8, and we will we'll kind of skip around. So what we'll do is we'll read a few passages out of Philippians 1, and then we'll kind of work our way backwards through uh, Philippians 1, and we'll, you'll see why when we get there. But uh, Philippians 1 is where we'll start. And as I was thinking about Philippians 1 and meditating on that this week, Philippians 1 is such a strong passage by itself, it's really hard to come up with an illustration or a story that really kind of brings it into our view without just reading it for what it is. But the Lord kind of brought it to my mind um, for some reason, and I do not preach about politics. I stay out of it. But recently, the Republicans had to elect a new Speaker of the House, and it was a fiasco that was almost laughable until you remember those people govern our lives. And um, when you get to a certain point, uh, they finally landed on a man named Mike Johnson, who is one of probably 300 million Mike Johnsons in the United States. Uh, but they landed on a man named Mike Johnson. And... Mike Johnson is a self-proclaimed Christian, and he is a Southern Baptist, so whoop, uh, on that. So Mike Johnson, and they wanted to interview him, new speaker of the house, want to learn about this guy. What is Mike Johnson about? What makes him tick? So a couple news stations did an interview with him, and they followed him around the Capitol building. And they said, where are we going first? And he said, well, we're going here, and this is the room of prayer inside the Capitol building. We use this every morning, and we're going to continue to use this every morning. And they said, every morning? He said, every morning. They said, okay. And so they go on, and they ask him a few different questions. And finally, someone gets to the point where they ask the new speaker of the house. They say, Speaker Johnson, how does the Bible, we know you're a Christian, how does the Bible influence your worldview? And his response was simple. It wasn't well, you know, my family and the way I you know, conduct myself in this, his response was, the Bible is my worldview. And you see, there's a very stark difference between something being something else and something influencing something else. And that's exactly what Paul addresses in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 1. And like I said, we'll start in verse 8. So if you want to turn your eyes there, we'll go ahead and start in verse 8. And it says, for God is my witness... How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really, or has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, have, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with, all, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We'll skip down to verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we want to come to you and thank you again for an opportunity to gather and study your word. We pray that as we take in Philippians chapter 1, God, that you will just use it to influence our hearts and to just grab a hold of us and show us that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We pray that above all in everything that we do, God, we will honor you and seek to honor you with everything in our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians is a letter written by Paul, uh, who is formerly Saul. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see Saul's conversion story on on the Damascus Road, the sky rips open. God says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And or says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul is like, what is happening? The sky is open. Who is speaking to me right now? So God opens the sky directly to Saul to say, you're persecuting me. And what he means by that is Paul's job before he was an apostle, before he was a missionary, his life's goal was to kill and persecute Christians. So Saul before he's a Christian, his life is to track down Christians and kill them. So God speaks directly to Paul or to Saul and says, you're not going to do that anymore. You're going to follow me. And so Paul does. And after becoming a Christian, he became a missionary. He became an apostle. Um, and he would commit years of his life at a time to missionary journeys. And in his lifetime, scholars estimate that he walked, not rode on a boat, not rode on an animal. He walked about 10,000 miles just on his missionary journeys. So Paul is pretty committed to this after his life-changing experience on the Damascus Road. And we know that this is a letter he is writing. So where is Paul writing this letter from? He is writing it from prison. And he says in Philippians 1 that it is because of his defense in the gospel. You see, Paul is imprisoned 
for his works for Christ. And you know, that's an interesting thing because Roman emperors at the time, this is in the Roman Empire, Paul is writing this letter, he's in prison, and he's doing it for the defense of Christ, all because Roman emperors didn't generally like it when people said, someone besides you is God. So when Paul goes around, when the other guys go around saying, hey, follow this guy, the emperor, he's there, but he's not really that important, they didn't take well to that. So they Paul in prison, amongst others. So who is Paul writing this letter to? So during his missionary journeys, Paul planted plenty of churches and led many people to Christ. But the church at Philippi, the Philippian church, is the first church that Paul ever planted. So when you read the greeting, when you read the opening of Philippians, it's clear that Paul is very affectionate toward the people of the church at Philippi. Paul loves these people, and his letter here is a letter of encouragement and a challenge to them as they are seeking to follow Christ with their church. And what we learn from Philippians chapter 1 is that to live a life worthy of the gospel, we must fully commit to Christ and to Christ above all. What we know and what we learn in Philippians 1 is that, number one, we can't do that alone. It requires community. It requires us working together for the sake of the gospel. And another thing we'll learn is that there is a personal aspect that requires personal holiness that is involved in seeking Christ together. And another thing we'll learn is that if we commit to these things, God will work wonders in our lives to glorify himself. And he will do this because, as I said, we fight for the cause of Christ together. We do this as a team. We do this as a community. We fight for the cause of Christ not alone, we do alone, but mostly together. And Paul makes this clear at the end of this passage in verse 27. He says, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul opens this with, our lives should be worthy of the gospel. Our lives should be worthy of the gospel. You see, in our current world, we look for worth in a lot of places. We look for lives that are worth living, we say. We, you know, we look for worth in our kids' future. We look for worth in money. We look for worth in all kinds of places that aren't the gospel. But Paul is clear that our worth should be in the gospel, that our lives should be worthy of the gospel. He says that until you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And what we learn is if you study Paul's letters and if you study the New Testament in general, a large theme you'll see is church unity. Paul knows through not only Philippians, but everything he writes that in order to make a true impact for the kingdom of God, we cannot do it alone. The church has to be not only unified uh, relationally, but we have to be unified together to truly be on the same mission for the gospel. Church unity is vital to the moving forward of God's kingdom here on earth. And only when we work together can we truly affect change for God's kingdom. You see, we are united around one thing, and that is the gospel. We're not united around tradition. We're not united around politics. We're not united around sports teams. We're not united around our interests. We are united around one thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul knows, and we know, that that comes with opposition. Verse 28 says, not, And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. 
And Paul explains why there's opposition. And we know that there's opposition for a few different reasons, but the primary one being is that the world and Satan know that the gospel is bad for their business. The world and Satan know that the gospel is bad for their business. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, Jewel Keenan and I actually talked about this book a few weeks ago, called The Screwtape Letters. And if you don't know or have never heard of The Screwtape Letters, it is, the premise of the book is this. It is an older demon writing to a younger demon, explaining to him how he can influence the people he is treating, his patient, away from God's kingdom and away from the gospel. The older uncle, his name is Screwtape. The younger nephew, his name is Wormwood. And one of the quotes... Um, As you read through the letters from this one demon to another, um, one of the quotes that really sticks out, it says that a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and more amusing. Sincerely, your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. I'll read that again. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and more amusing. Moderated religion is good for Satan. You see, it's not because of what we believe, it's because of how seriously we believe it. Because if the gospel is three things, it is first and foremost true, but it is secondly confrontational, and third, it is exclusive. The gospel is confrontational because when we believe that the only way to experience God's fullness is through putting ourselves behind him on our priority list, that doesn't go over well with the world. It does not go over well with Satan. It does not go over well with culture. The gospel in and of itself is confrontational. Christian, know this. The world will hate you because of what you believe. It's not that they might hate you. It's not that they might not like you. If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, the world will hate you. And we know this because in John chapter 15, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know this, that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. But we are not of the world. We are not of the world because the gospel is also exclusive. The gospel is exclusive. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus did not say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Satan knows that. James 2 says that you believe that God is one. You do well, but even the demons believe, and they shudder. Knowing God is real is not enough. Believing in the exclusivity of the gospel is necessary. And that comes with opposition. Paul says their destruction is our salvation. And what that says is there are two paths. There's a path of destruction and there's the path of salvation. So how do we gain salvation, and how do we gain destruction? Well, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, and before you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are, you are already born and destined on the path of destruction. You see, God created our world perfectly and without any issue. But through our first parents, Adam and Eve, sin entered the world, and because of that, we are destined and bound for destruction, the destruction that Paul is talking about. So how do we avoid destruction? Destruction being hell, separation from God. How do we avoid that? Well, God in his love for us provided a way through his son, Jesus. And only through Jesus, which is the gospel we're talking about, only through putting your faith in Jesus can we truly avoid that path of destruction and move ourselves to the path of salvation. So how do we do that? 
Gospel's clear. The, the Bible's clear. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what we earn from our sin is death, period. And that is not only physical death, but that is spiritual death in hell. But Paul also tells us in Romans, and the Lord tells us through Paul, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The gospel is confrontational. The gospel is exclusive. And the only way to avoid the destruction Paul is talking about is to put your faith in Jesus. And that won't always be easy. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now that I still have. Belief in a Christ requires sacrifice and it requires suffering. No one knew this better than the author of the letter to the Philippians. Paul was persecuted and had murder attempted against him many times in his time as an apostle and his time serving Christ. And now he's writing this letter from prison. And this is an interesting concept here that we read this letter from prison and Paul's encouragement is, do what I did. All right, so imagine you get a letter from a friend, a relative, or someone you know that's in prison. I think the last thing you're going to expect it to say when you open is, all right, so you see where I am, you see what happened, do that. I mean, come on, right? So why is it important and why is Paul even bothering to say, do what I did, right? He's in prison, why would he do what he did? He's writing this to say that because Paul really believed that life is Christ and that nothing else mattered. Because Paul truly believes that life is Christ and nothing else matters. In verse 20 he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard that verse a time or two or three or a million. And it's awfully churchy. It's a little Christianese, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it down for us here. So to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To understand to live is Christ, it's easier if we start with the latter part of that sentence, to die is gain. And the C, to die is gain, is that our problem right now in our culture and in society is that for us to live is salvation and heaven is simply our get out of hell free card. That's the problem with what we are doing right now. What we see throughout all of our culture, throughout the church, is that to live is salvation and heaven is simply our get out of hell free card. And I want everyone to look at me right now. Teenagers, look at me right now. I'm not moving on until I see every set of teenage eyes looking at me. If you hear nothing else from this sermon, hear this. Society and pop culture want you to think that they know what truth is. They want to tell you that what they're giving you is the truth. Here's the reality. What they consider truth is a moving target. If you don't believe me, ask anyone in this room older than you. I remember 10 years ago, people in this room remember 50 years ago, that what was considered truth is different than what is considered truth now. Truth is a moving target to society and culture. And what you're told by society is at best manipulative and at worst downright evil. Society wants nothing more than to take from you. They want to sacrifice you on the altar of things that you give them, whether that is your money, whether that is your time, whether that is your bodies, whatever it is, society and culture is willing to sacrifice you on the altar of what they can take from you. 
Pop culture does not care about you. They only want what you give them. They'll tell you to live is everything and to die is the end. So live it up now while you can. That is the opposite of who God is, and that is the opposite of what God says. Culture says, you give me everything and I'll take it. God says, your offering isn't worth anything, but I will give you everything. That is the gospel. That is what is true and good, not what they're telling you. But the problem is that we, what we fail to understand as Christians is that while Christianity is a call to come and live, it is first and foremost a call to come and die. Romans 6, verse 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And that verse really puts to live is Christ in, gang, or in perspective. To live is Christ is in perspective when you read Romans 6, 6, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Only when we are willing to count everything as loss can we begin to count anything as gain. And the only thing that is gain is experiencing the fullness of life that comes in Christ. Because living for Christ illuminates God's plan for us. Living for Christ illuminates God's plan for us. Verse 12 says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. When you read Philippians chapter 1, what you'll notice and what you'll begin to see is that Paul is really having a hard time to seeing how his life holds an advantage in his current situation. You see, Paul is a pastor, an apostle, he's a missionary. His life's ambition is to preach the gospel. And the only thing he can do right now is sit and write it on a piece of paper with no face contact with anyone because he's in prison. But you see, it's only when we see the dark, like Paul's seeing here, only when you've been in the dark can you begin to see the light. In a personal experience that I have with this, um, I'll tell you, so my wife and I moved here from Bardstown. Um, we're not from there, but we moved here. That was where we lived right before we moved here. And when I pulled out of my driveway with the U-Haul headed to Scottsville, Kentucky, I looked in the rearview mirror at my house and said, good riddance. Now, that house was a, you know, arguably a lot nicer than the house I live in now. It had two bathrooms. <sighs> um, amongst plenty of other things, but really that's the highlight for our current situation. Um, but I don't miss that house. It was a lot better house for our family. It was a lot better house for our situation. Um, but I don't miss that house at all. And the reason I don't miss that house is because I watched my wife and the Lord battle Satan and his demons in that house 
for days on end for months. Most of you know at this point, but some of you may not. My wife, two weeks after she gave birth to our son, um, she started struggling with symptoms of postpartum depression. And I'll tell you right now, if you know someone who's in that situation, if you see it, catch it early, find a therapist, find a psychiatrist, whatever you need to do to fix it early. And you see, I have vivid memories of having to console my wife, having to try and understand a situation that I was completely unfamiliar with. And as someone who will tell you I'm a control freak, okay, there is no more powerless feeling than having someone tell you, I don't understand, I feel broken, and all you can say is, I don't know how to fix it. And you know that there's nothing you can do to fix it. There is no more powerless feeling than that. And what we learned from that period of time is that the control that we thought we had, the hope that we thought we had in our possessions and in that house were completely and utterly useless if God is not with you. I don't miss that house. Because we forget how all the things that we think matter are worthless when what actually matters is laying on the line. In the Christian life, we are always at battle. The Christian life is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. You are soldiers, you are not customers. In the good times and in the struggle, we choose Christ or we choose destruction. There is no other path. You see, Paul sees that even in his struggle, God is using him for his glory. He sees that even though he's in prison, Christ is being proclaimed throughout the empire. His imprisonment and his time in the dark has served towards the spread of the gospel because his life is Christ. And because his life is Christ, he rejoices. In prison, and after being nearly beaten to death and trying to be murdered many times, he rejoices. Life is Christ. When Mike Johnson told the media, the Bible is my worldview, they lost their marbles. I mean, it was ugly. They could not seem to comprehend or understand why anyone would say such a thing. In a society that's taught us that we are what we are and everything else is simply an influence, it was impossible for anyone to believe that we could be something other than just what we see or what we think. To live is Christ. Our lives shouldn't be influenced by Christ and the gospel. Our lives should be. Christ and the gospel. So you have that index card, and I told you we'd come back to it. On that index card, on the empty side, if you have one, I want you to write, in 2024, I finally put God before blank. You can fill that in right now. In 2024, I finally put God before you fill in the blank. You see, often we think and we say that our lives are Christ, and we say that we believe the gospel, but in all reality, it's influenced by the gospel, which is, you know, not that bad, right? But ultimately, God is not the top of our priority list. Someone is sitting on there, something is sitting on the throne of our heart, and it's not God. 
So in 2024, I want us as a church, individually and together, to commit to this. In 2024, I finally put God before you fill in the blank. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pray. Men, you're the spiritual leaders of your household, so if you are able, I want you to bring your family to the altar and pray over these cards. I want you to pray that in 2024 and for the rest of your life, that your life will be Christ. To live is Christ. So when I begin praying, I want you, if you're able, if you're not able, stay. It's okay. Your prayers still count back there, I promise. Um, but I want you to come forward, and I want us to pray as a church together over this. That in 2024, our church and we as individuals will finally put God before everything else. So that's what we're going to do. If you have never heard about the gospel, if you've never heard the story of Jesus and you heard it today and you want to learn more or you say, I need to commit my life to Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that. There's nothing more I'd love to talk to you about. So while we're praying, feel free to come see me. Um, if you don't, can't find me, find John Mark. Ken will be leading music. If you can't find us, find him. He'll interrupt it. It's fine. They'll keep playing. Um, whatever you need to do. But if you have not met Jesus and would like to learn more or put your faith in Jesus, come see one of us. So when I start praying, men, lead your families forward. Um, we'll pray, and that's how we'll end service today. So in 2024, let us finally put God before everything else. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather again and just hear your word and understand that there is nothing in our lives that is more important than Christ. We thank you so much for what you've done for us and who you are and the sacrifice you made to atone for the sins that we commit every single day, God. We pray that out of an overflow of love and appreciation, God, that you will lead us to follow you above all else in 2024. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.